For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Well, some of you may have been a little sleep deprived during the last month. Uh, We've just had the most famous bike race in the world taking place over the last, well, it finished last Sunday, I think, uh, which is, of course, Le Tour, uh, Le Tour de France. My French is non-existent. Uh, Those of you who do speak it would have been able to tell that. Uh, Now, you yourself may have absolutely no interest whatsoever in watching uh, a group of men ride their bikes around for four or five hours. And to be honest, personally, I'm not hugely interested in the bike race itself, but I do like to tune in. Uh, I do like to watch a bit of the race. Uh, Like a lot of people, I tune in not so much for the racing itself, but for the scenery uh, and for the the stories that go along with the tour. And if you've ever tuned in to SBS around midnight, um, it's... Well, it's got a kind of calming effect, the whole whole experience. Um, Now, I was watching a bit of the final stage of the tour just last Sunday, uh, and as the peloton approached Paris, they rode past this place, uh, the Palace of Versailles. And they had all of these uh, gratuitous shots from the helicopters that they've got following the riders around. And there's just scene after scene of the, the buildings and the grounds and the gardens... Uh, and the place is just truly magnificent. Now, I'm sure the place is beautiful at ground level too, uh, but one of the things that struck me was just how magnificent the whole thing put together appears. When you get a little bit of elevation, you get a very different perspective of the complex, a sense of the scale of the place, and you can see that bigger picture. Now, for me, the book of Ephesians, and particularly this first chapter, is a little bit like that. It's kind of like getting the bird's-eye view of our worlds. We get exposed to the big picture of God's plans and purposes for our world. And chapter 1 especially, I think, helps us see our worlds a little more clearly from God's perspective, where we see what he is up to, where he is taking things, and where we fit into that. And in getting a deeper appreciation for what God has done for us, who God has made us to be in Jesus, God then enables us to live that out, to be who he's called us to be. 
Now, the section that we're looking at today begins uh, in verse 15 of chapter 1, uh, and it begins this way. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So this is Paul writing, and he wants to communicate to the people reading his letter that he has heard about their faith, and he wants to talk to them about what he's praying for them. But he begins by saying, for this reason. Uh, And that reason, of course, is everything that he's been talking about up until this point, and that's what we looked at with Luke last week. Uh, So just a quick recap for you. Uh, In verse 3, he declares that God's people have received every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he's gone on to flesh that out, to talk about how uh, God's people were chosen and redeemed and forgiven and adopted into God's family. And he's gone on to declare that the Gentiles now have been included in all of this, that they too share in those blessings through Jesus. When they heard the gospel of salvation, when they responded in faith, the Gentiles were kind of grafted into God's people. And so Paul now writes, with all of that in mind, for that reason, when he heard about how these particular people, the Ephesians, responded to the gospel, Paul says he hasn't stopped giving thanks for them, he hasn't stopped praying for them and about them. Now notice that he's not congratulating the Ephesians for what they've accomplished in coming to faith. Paul directs his thanks, rightly, to God. Because if the first 14 verses of Ephesians show us anything... They show us that this is, in fact, God's doing. This is his plan. It's all being done according to his purposes. In fact, there's a recurring phrase that keeps cropping up throughout chapter 1, and we see it a few times in uh, this opening section. first shows up in verse 5. Paul there talks about things being done in accordance with, the pleasure, uh, with his pleasure and will. Then verse 9, talking again, he says, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, Then verse 11, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God is working out this plan, his plan, according to his own will, according to his own purpose, even according to his own pleasure. Our world is not out of control and our world is not ours to control. God is in control of his world and he's bringing his plans to completion. And so when the Apostle Paul sits back and surveys what he sees God doing and what he has done through Christ, when he contemplates these plans and purposes of God, he feels compelled to thank God, to praise God. And he wants to specifically thank God for these Ephesians and to pray that the Ephesians themselves would then have their lives shaped around God's plans and purposes for this world. Now, When we pray, uh, what we pray about will very often expose our hearts. It'll it'll betray in some way what we really care about, those things that matter to us, what we value. And here we can see how God's plans affect the way Paul prays, what he prays for the Ephesians. And it's a great example, I think, of how we can reflect what matters most to God in the things that we pray, and particularly the things that we pray for each other. And so in verse 14, Paul goes on to explain to the Ephesians specifically the kinds of things he's praying for them. And so we read these verses. 
I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. There are three things here that Paul says he wants them to know. He wants them to know God, hope and power. In verse 17, there he asks God to give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that they can know God better. See, the Apostle Paul is convinced that God is the bee's knees. And if he wants one thing for his Christian brothers and sisters, it's that they would simply know this incredible person better. And so that's what he prays for. He asks that God would give them his spirit so that they would know God better. Now, I think this is a really, seems like a simple thing, but I think it's a really important thing to grasp. See, we can understand all kinds of things about God, what God has done for us in Jesus, what his character is like, his plans and his purposes. But ultimately, what God wants for us is to know him, to have a personal relationship with him. And so we need to understand those other things about who God is and what he's done in order to know him. But just like you'd want to spend time with your favourite people in order to get to know them better, we should all want to get to know God better too. And that is possible, and in fact, that's what God wants for us. How does that happen? Well, Paul talks here about the Spirit. The Spirit, of course, is what makes it even possible for us to have a relationship with God, to make us alive to him. And so that's why Paul prays here that God would give them his spirit, the spirit of wisdom and revelation as he describes the spirit here so they could understand more of who God is and live in the light of that. But we also know that there are practical things that we can all do to get to know God better. And I'm sure you could all give me those classic Sunday school answers of reading the Bible and praying and going to church and of course all that's true and all of that is helpful but I think it's also helpful to take a step back and to remember why we do any of those things because the aim ultimately ought to be to know God better more deeply see God has blessed us not only by declaring us right with him by forgiving us through Christ But he's also given us his spirit to open up a personal relationship for each one of us with our creator. So when you pray for yourself and when you pray for others, don't forget to thank God for the great blessing that it is to simply know him. And like Paul does here for the Ephesians, ask God to help you know him even better. Next, in verse 18 there, Paul goes on to pray and tells them that he prays that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. It's a very interesting expression. Um, So that they would know the hope that is theirs. Paul wants the Ephesians to live with an awareness and, and an appreciation of the inheritance that belongs to them 
as the adopted children of God. And he wants them to understand the power of God that's at work within them. Paul's prayer is that they would be able to live with a deep confidence, the confidence that comes from knowing that their future is secure. That's what it means to live in hope, to know that God's power is a reality in their lives and that, in fact, their eternity is already locked in. Paul wants to wax on a bit about that power, so he goes on in verse 19 to continue on this theme. He says that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. In verse 19, he talks here about this power that is at work within them. And he says that that's the same power, in fact, that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that placed Jesus on his throne, the place from which he rules over all things. This is a power that brings new life, victory over death. Paul says, well, if you're a follower of Jesus, know that that same power is at work in your life too. Not only taking you from death to life, and we're going to hear more about that next week, but also the way in which God transforms and renews our lives. Paul prays that the Ephesians would appreciate what God has blessed them with, that they would know it more deeply. And part of that is knowing that God is at work, that God's power is at work in us. To know this hope that is ours, and best of all, to know God himself. Can you see how knowing God's plans shapes and affects the way Paul prays? Shapes what he wants for the Ephesians? How does your understanding of what God is doing in the world affect your prayers? How does it shape and affect what you want for yourself and for others? Have you grappled with this idea that chapter 1 fleshes out that, that all of human history, that our world is going to find its end point in Jesus? That this world, that your very life, is all a part of God's bigger plan, all a part of his purpose, and that it ultimately results in the praise of his own name and glory? I have to confess that this particular part of the Bible... Um, has had a pretty big impact on my own life and the way that I view the world. I remember quite distinctly in my second year of university that the Bible study group that I was a part of was looking through the book of Ephesians. And we were looking at it uh, in our weekly uh, Bible teaching meetings as well. Philip Jensen was preaching through Ephesians at the time. And the more I went over these verses, the more it rattled me. In a good way, God was challenging me to think about how my life should fit in with his plans for the world. I can't pretend to have maintained that vision consistently throughout my life, but it did did reorient the way that I was thinking about my future. And that's why I always find it so refreshing and so confronting to revisit this chapter. 
because it's like climbing into that helicopter and getting that elevated view, that bird's eye view of this world. Here we're given an amazing insight into God's plans for the universe. We should allow it to shift and impact our hearts and our minds and to reassess whether the plans and priorities that we have for ourselves are very well aligned with God's. That can be a humbling experience. It can be an uncomfortable one. But there's also a wonderful freedom and a wonderful peace that comes with understanding God's plans and purposes for the world and understanding that God is in control of things. And so for those of us who are in Christ, it's right for us to marvel at the incredible blessings that God has lavishly poured out on us, as Paul describes it in verse 8. Remember who you are in Jesus, that you are forgiven, that you are loved, that you've been redeemed, that you're adopted into his family. Those are all things that you can claim as someone who knows Jesus. Now, response to that should be, as Paul does here, to praise and thank God for it. Not just with our lips, but with our very lives. But knowing all of this will hopefully then show up in the things that we want and pray, what we want and pray for ourselves and for one another. So it's worth, I think, reflecting a little bit on the way that we pray and even what we typically pray for. If you're like me, uh, my prayers tend to focus on kind of the ordinary, everyday things. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for your daily bread. Jesus taught us that. Nothing wrong with bringing your concerns about the ordinary stuff of life before God. Things like your health or the health of those you love, work situation, things going on in your family, in relationships with others. Bring all of that before God. He cares about all of that too. But will you also pray and ask God that you might know him better? That you'd be someone who is able to live in hope, looking forward to what God has promised you, and to remember that it's all secured by the very power of God that raised Jesus from the grave. Will you ask for those things, not only for yourself, but for your brothers and sisters too?